The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. And today, well, we're going to be talking a lot about VR again. I mean, I just talked to an anonymous Oculus engineer, which I highly recommend to anyone who hasn't listened to this one. That was a very illuminating discussion from someone within the industry, you know, his thoughts on where Meta's going and their competition. But now I'm talking to someone else that, well, Someone in the Broken Silicon Discord just said, hey, have you heard of Sadly? It's Bradley. I like him a lot. And I'm always, you know, trying to feel out as many guests as possible ahead of time. And I looked into it. And I was like, oh, this guy really seems to know what he's talking about. And then when I reached out to you, you actually had some thoughts on recent things that we've been talking about on Broken Silicon and Moore's Law is Dead. And so it was timely. It wasn't forced to have you on right away. So, yeah, why don't you tell everybody who you are? Yeah, so um, my name is Bradley Lynch. I'm known on the internet as Sadly It's Bradley. Um, I basically do videos, analytical stuff on uh, VR, AR technologies. And it's honestly very similar to uh, your channel, except instead of silicon leaks, it's all like, hey, this is what uh, I believe companies are working on. So yeah, that's me. And and with regards to VR, which is funny, this has been a huge blind spot to the type of products i've been following i mean of course mostly what i follow is like intel processors then graphics cards amd processors every now and then there's a playstation or xbox thing that gets in there every once in a i'd say once every third blue moon there's an apple thing that sneaks in in a leak somewhere but vr i it really wasn't until i got a Quest 2, and then got into contact with some people at Meta and a couple of people working on PSVR devices that I got interested in this. And then when I was talking to you via email, you brought up the Deckard and Valve's products. And I'm like, great, another thing I know absolutely nothing about, like, which means that I should probably have you on sooner rather than later, because a lot of people consider Valve the best or a lot of, Valve comes to mind first for a lot of people when they think of VR. Yeah, Valve, um, I mean, people, you know, Meta is like definitely, they're known because of Oculus. They bought Oculus early on, but a lot of people don't realize that Valve has been kind of working on VR hardware since around the same time that Oculus first started. So they have a lot of uh, dedicated people that are constantly working on it. Uh, the HTC Vive only really existed because of Valve, and then the Valve Index came out in 2019, and that's still at least on Steam, this, the second most used headset, which is impressive for the price. There's a lot of respect for Valve in the hardware scheme. It's just people don't expect a company like Valve to be such a player in this space, but they, they have, especially for the enthusiast territory. 
Well, what's interesting, though, about this space, and I was actually thinking this today as I was preparing the notes for our discussion, is this isn't, I mean, nothing's ever decided forever. You always see companies swing back, new companies pop up and compete. But I feel like we're getting very close to the put up or shut up phase for VR. Like, what did we, I mean, first Valve was basically, or, or Oculus, I should say, which then was bought by Facebook, was the option, then Valve, then Sony launched PSVR and just outsold everyone by a factor of 10. But then Quest came out and doubled the sales of Sony. And I think seeing Meta do that to Sony, Sony could do it back to them or Valve could do it to everyone again. I, I don't think we can rule out that no one sold 100 million units yet. We're still looking at like, I mean, almost niche number. Not niche anymore, I'd say, but just be a little better than that. And it's still anyone's game to win. I mean, my example I bring up all the time is PS Now, where like apparently that was just the streaming service and then just like that, nope. No, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, uh, even but coming from someone who's been like watching the VR industry for almost six years now, uh, it's there was a lot of hype early on, but the actual product sales never reflected that hype. And even today, even with Quest 2 getting like, what, 10 million, maybe 15 million units sold, there's still this is still like seen as a, a, an emerging industry. Uh, the one big thing that is people expect that's going to change. And I, I know... You mentioned PSVR 2. That's still uh, the outlier, the VR only. But um, we'll talk about this probably more later. But the, the big reason why uh, all these major players are hopping into VR, um, you always hear stuff about Apple and, and like ByteDance, who owns um, TikTok and with Pico and stuff, is there's a big uh, push where you might not even hear the word VR. Everyone wants to do mixed reality now, which might apply to more consumer markets than just gaming which might allow this industry for the VR users to flourish more. Well, let me ask you this, and I'm not even sure, like, it's a very open-ended question, but as someone who's followed VR since it's had its resurgence with the Oculus, what, Kickstarter, what has it been like to watch the swings back and forth from everybody? Because it would almost be like if the market was way smaller, but then, you know, it, like, what if it just went from, like, Xbox to PlayStation and Nintendo back and forth, just crushing swings in market share. It, has it been weird to follow who just these companies just just wildly taking more market share than the other out of nowhere? I, I think it's e even still the fact that we've only had so few players in this industry. There's been like a lot of different markets. Like there's always been like kind of the enthusiast market. Um, and, and that was where at, at the beginning, Oculus and Valve were kind of competing with each other. and. Um, at least the first year, uh, Valve and HTC were beating the Oculus for for hardware sales. But then you, you mentioned PSVR came out, and that brought things to a more affordable le level. Like everyone had a PS4 at that point. But at the same time, you couldn't compare a lot of the content and like the hardware at the PSVR with the higher end stuff that required a PC. Um, and then the Quest 2 came out, and obviously, it, <laughs> we could probably talk about this later as well, but it came out like, like the perfect time to really do everything like we had just so like every everything for pc vr especially was above msrp so anyone that wanted to get into enthusiast territory couldn't but it was also just like a lot of things that were difficult to hop into this industry was removed but i think now we're coming into now seeing um 
kind of everyone's kind of agreeing that having some sort of standalone they call it capability inside of a headset mm. when everyone's competing on that same level field i think there's going to be a lot more like competition and even <laughs> uh, to, to really answer your question since the beginning there hasn't been really that much competition or like trying to one up each other in hardware because the even the the best competitor they were not getting the units to convince the product, like the manufacturing lines to develop new technologies that might push their devices even further, which we're slowly, we're actually starting to see a change in that now, though. Yeah, I mean, and there are a few outliers that this is, I don't mean to derail the conversation, but I kind of want to ask, what do you think about uh, Samsung and Google Cardboard? Because I remember they both made a big deal about it and Samsung was like, all right, bye. And Google Cardboard, I think, get some credit for not trying to be that big of a thing and doing what it did as an entry point for basically free. But like, what do you think about those two things? Cause again, if you go back and look, Samsung was talking about it a ton and now they just never do. Well, I think those products, um, when we come to like the, th th those are called 3d OF uh, products. They don't have full motion tracking and everything. It's just like they track your head. And those products were, uh, in my opinion, terrible for the entire industry because now, every time a new headset came out for years, uh, people were like, oh, I tried a Google Cardboard. That must be what a VR, VR experience is like. And they're usually like really, really mm. uh, toned down experiences. And and back and everyone who had a Google Cardboard or a Samsung Gear VR, because they were just giving those things away because they mm. were just trying to get rid of them. Um, the retention rates for all those devices were terrible. Like literally pick up once for five minutes and put it down. Um, so when we come to more today's uh, hardware, there's still there's still a little bit of an issue actually with retention rates um, from what I hear, even about the Quest Two, and that's why I th the underlying thing is you can't push an industry until you fix the so the hardware problems to make something you would want to use more than once, and and those previous products were not that at all. <laughs> no, well, it's funny when I tried them out, I got I spent like thirty dollars for some. You know, at the time, I had like one of the first actually 4K screen phones. And so I was like, well, this is the pixel density they say you should have. So I got a $30 phone holder VR thing. And I went into it just trying to see like, what does it feel like to be able to look around? You know, right. I didn't expect any more than that. But you're right. A lot of people might try that out and go, oh, so this is an interesting gimmick. Yeah, right. And that's always been like, it's been a meme, even in my my community for years is VR is a gimmick. I've tried, I, I put cardboard on my face, you know, and that's where we always trying to, we're always trying to leave that because it's, it's a chicken and egg problem, uh, chicken and egg problem, this industry. And I think those products didn't help that uh, at all in any way. Well, so let me skip ahead then to this kind of general discussion here. And I just labeled this in the notes like PSVR 2 versus Quest 2 3 Pro, because there's really about a million Quest devices they're working on, versus Deckard versus Apple. Like, what do you think about, like, what does it, what do these different devices from these different companies, what do they each need to do well to succeed? Like, what's going to determine which one wins? Because it's, I actually did talk to um, a contact at one of these companies today, like, just kind of like, what it takes to do this and i i've i've got fresh in my head some more thoughts about what it will take to go mainstream so so but what are your thoughts about these upcoming devices um i think when it comes to playstation vr again I, I always see them as the outlier i um i think they're going to do very well 
for sales for that device. It's uh, like even the hardware showing for that device. Like when the PSVR one came out, they were using kind of like leftover R and D. They were using the mm. what the, the motion controls and everything. It was something they honestly threw together with not much effort and they sold so many of them and everyone and every game they released for it did pretty well like all the triple, yeah it's the crazy triple how well that ran on the ps4 from 2013 it's absolutely because i played resident evil 7 on a base ps4 but i was like this is better than i expected it to be to be honest guys yeah it really was a really good product and i think uh, a lot of people that got into vr like and stayed in vr that was the headset for a lot of people that introduction for the gaming side. Um, I think PSVR two is going to do very well because they're, they actually put a lot of R and D in it. They're coming with custom controllers. They have eye tracking, which a lot of headsets even today are Mm -hmm. that's changing now, but like it's been a while we've been winning eye tracking for so, so many years, but um, it's almost, it might be the first device to get it it, that sells a decent amount of units, which is kind of crazy. Like why hasn't (laughs) anyone else done this yet? Yeah, it, it, it's, it is crazy. Like, I know Cambria later this year is going to have eye tracking and stuff. But yeah, it, that's a that's a big uh, proponent. To... So anyway, when, when they actually uh, push this great hardware with the great software, I think PSVR 2 is going to do great for gaming, um, just like PSVR 1. And then you have to think about, well, they have 10 million Quest 2s out right now. Mm-hmm. But when, when I mean, it was funny because uh, the recent Sony showcase, everyone was talking about, the the resident evil 4 remake and they at the end they said there's gonna be vr content or whatever and people thought that was really funny because um it was like late last year early this year on the meta quest 2 mm-hmm. they released the original resident evil 4 but in vr so it's like we if you compare the old version of resident evil 4 in vr and then sony's got this beefed up system all this nice hardware it's going to be hard for quest 2 with its like almost three-year-old snapdragon chip to, to compete like if it's lucky visuals. it's close to xbox one base performance if it's yeah. lucky and it's really a little bit below that it, yeah there's a lot of stuff that that headset needs to do other than just graphics processing like even mm-hmm. just the tracking stuff takes up a lot of cpu power and and it and even the, the xr2 in the quest 2 is underclocked so it it's going to be difficult for gamers and and that device was originally targeted to gamers it's going to be hard for them to be like well why am i using this thing i'm getting like beefed up mobile games versus you know the psvr2 but when you get into the higher end which you know met uh meta they're they're all about cambria which is a high-end device uh valve i believe their deckard is going to be a high-end device and apple is going to be very high-end device probably not cheap with that apple name on it (laughs) i mean if you hear the specs that they're talking about for that thing it is definitely like high-end enthusiasts but all these higher-end devices they're not really focusing on the vr gaming they're big on the um, the mixed reality, which is uh, overlay the real world with cameras and like LiDAR and like uh, IR projectors and be able to have VR and automatically switch to an AR to, um, environment and be able to do stuff with your, your hands, finger tracking, be able to do productivity, uh, entertainment, be able to throw giant uh, high resolution monitors anywhere in your room. Just Just add more functionality to a high quality VR device. And those high-end devices are also finally using new technologies like the lenses. Um, the big issue, in my opinion, for VR adoption and, and retention has been these things have been giant bricks on people's faces for years. And the reason is they all have this in it. This is a, mm-hmm. a lens cup. This is empty space. Um, and the reason they have to do that is because for now lenses, they need a certain distance. But all these high-end products are using uh, new types of lenses, which are usually called pancake lenses, and they mm-hmm. can bounce the light 
and get that uh, this like almost like half the size. So the center of gravity is closer to your face. You'll be able to have um, much higher PVD displays by that. And it's just like all the things for the higher end are coming together to make VR, which is also AR as well, to finally a more consumer. It's not a gaming gimmick. It's it's becoming something more. Yeah, and I, I'm just pulling this up because I'll just like, I'll say I, I talk to people at, at Meta. So to a certain extent, I kind of know the, the roadmap literally of t- for the next few years. And Pancake Lenses has been coming up in conversations a lot recently. But they are, I've been warned, very expensive. Yes, yeah, they, they, are, they are more expensive. Um, but I, I think every... I, I think everyone's adopting these lenses and just like, uh, so, so at the beginning, um, this VR resurgence really started or could happen because mobile phones took off as an industry. Um, well, so every, can we agree that ideally long-term, the ultimate VR device is one that does everything inside of the headset. Like if yeah. we could do it, AAA yeah. gaming, it just removes so many of the wiring and tracking and whatever and latency issues just to do that. That is definitely the like the the dream case scenario that every the holy grail maybe yeah the holy grail and when we talk about Deckard we'll we'll talk about how ways that some of these companies like Apple are trying to get more performance out of their systems um yeah but you know I for me like I feel like no matter what happens in the next five years, unless something happens that makes VR just entirely unpopular, but I don't think it's going down. It's only going to go up from here. Um, I think no matter what in 10 years and we're on like whatever, well, they'll probably call it not even nanometer, like, you know, whatever angstrom or marketing term they're using for their latest nodes. We'll be able to do this. We'll be able to bring frankly performance. That's probably flagship GPU coming out later this year to something that uses 25 Watts. 10 years from now. I, I think we definitely will um, with the latest nodes, 3D stacking and who, who the heck else knows what they'll do. But until then, I do kind of feel like there is going to be this divergence in products where, and I talked to someone about this recently, like if you're, if we're being honest, the Quest 2's internal SOC, its performance dropped at the perfect time. Like it dropped right when it could kind of do ps4 xbox one games before the ps5 and xbox series x were really taken advantage of so most things if you put effort into it you could make a way 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 reduced quality version of any game that was out but that's because it dropped right at the end of a generation when it was finally using that you know i don't think that's going to cut it over the next few years for me i think we're just going to have to accept that you can't really do it in device easily without spending a lot of money. And it's going to come down to price. I think the Quest 2 and a lot of devices have nailed the experience. For me, it needs to be cheaper so people buy it. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I, I think there's, a again, this is related to, you know, you talk about how pancake lenses, uh, they're expensive right now. Well, if a lot of high-end products, which will show why something like that will make your headsets way more comfortable you want to use it more than 20 minutes you'll want to pick it up um Mm. you know it's summer right now it's freaking hot i don't want to wear bricks on my faces so you know more companies that push the high-end stuff those things will be able to make it into the low end as well um but i i do agree like that the quest 2 has been what did come at the perfect time like they they do deserve the success they got with that like pricing it 
probably below <laughs> cost to make them and stuff to push their but it was 100 percent below cost yeah you know what the bomb is <laughs> right right so like yeah that, that, that's also great but um there's just going to be things that improve the experience i think a lot more um and when you talk about what we need for processing uh you know there's a lot of barriers to making headsets more comfortable other than the actual weight and like getting displays mm -hmm. to your face um Every headset on the market now still uses display processes that are basically based off of mobile phone displays. Well, that's an issue. That, that's fine on mobile phones. You can't see the pixels, but when you put a lens on top of it, and and even mm -hmm. if you put a diffuser, there is still a you can still see a screen door effect, which there's a lot of that. That's an issue. Like you're not going to expect people to want to work in something like this if you can't read text very well, for example. Uh, I don't have a, a link in the description, or maybe I will before I post this. But I saw a recent study came out where they tried this kind of like Zuckerberg fever dream of using this pass through VR device while you're working all day, and the overwhelming, you know, conclusion of the study is everyone hates this <laughs> like no one wants to use this they're getting sick they're working slower not faster putting a bunch of minority report around stuff around you doesn't really help anyone do anything just use three monitors you know like at least right now i'm not convinced that's really the use of vr although i'm sure like apple's going to try to sell that so we've talked about like using vr for productivity we've talked about it for gaming Yoda King writes in, actually, he's the one who recommended you for the podcast. And he says, hey, Tom and Bradley, I'm a big fan of you two. What do you think it'll take for VR games to have the same mainstream appeal as Call of Duty? In what place in the market do you think those big VR stores with a large amount of space and short curated VR experiences have in the future as consumer VR gets better? And I kind of want to use this as a springboard to what is going to make VR uh, mainstream? Like, let maybe not gr grandma and grandpa using their iPads mainstream, but like a step above now to the point where like most gamers have a VR device. Not all, but yeah. most hardcore gamers have one. If someone has a PS5, they probably have something. If someone has a gaming PC, they probably have a VR device. Like, is it going to be games? Is it going to be using something else? Or what do you think it's going to be? I actually, so I, I generally don't uh, agree with a lot of what meta targets for their um, ideas, but one thing I think that they are spot on about, um, they're very big on social presence in VR and like uh, telepresence, which is the idea that, hey, if we all meet up in something like VR chat or whatever god awful one they make, um, you know, it, it's, it actually is really beneficial and if you look at like the numbers for VR chat, for example, which I know some people might not know this, but there is people that have made VR chat a lifestyle and they get very good retention numbers. I mean, it's because a lot of people, and these are, and, and VR chat is usually on enthusiast platforms. So the most mm -hmm. expensive uh, people will spend a lot of money to just get trackers they can put on their legs um, to do like full body tracking, they call it. And like that, 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 platform has become a lifestyle for people because it's, it's so amazing to be able to just grab friends visit any content they want any world and some of these have mini games and everything there's a ton of benefit to the social uh, process so when you hear about cambria they're, they're incorporating built-in eye and face tracking mm -hmm. to make their avatars look better i think that will be very beneficial for people more than they think um as someone who also myself I, i'm big on the social vr stuff but then you start adding, uh, well, okay, they're going to start putting 
pass high resolution pass through cameras so you can actually see your environment you can start doing a lot of interesting things whether it's games or like just just cool little tricks in your environment um put up a theater in your in your house or empty wall if you have one well that's just another feature added to vr and then you can switch to a, a, a game at any time that's built for vr i, I think it's like VR itself is not going to become mainstream uh, right away. I think it's all these different uh, features coming together and actually having a lot of benefit that's going to push it. And again, I, I hate to say this, but it's it's going to happen first in the high end. Like people are going to see these expensive devices. It's like how PCs back in the 80s, like they were ridiculously expensive. They were just glorified word processors word processors back then and for like two to three grand yeah yeah exactly and that money so today like five grand yeah right i think xr devices before they hit the mainstream they're going to be like that they're going to start out they, they start out with gaming but now they're starting to branch out to more uses and i think people will see it more as like the, the same progression as the early 80s computers so all right to play devil's advocate to that though isn't yeah. that already happening now, isn't there an argument it could follow the smartphone pattern where there was the, actually, which it did start out as expensive for the time, like $600 for an iPhone in that month and that uh, time period's money is like a grand now. And like you had people like, oh, I'm not spending $600 for a phone. What do I really use it for? You know, it's like, and, and I remember the jokes early on of like the Apple commercial was like, look at our trips to Italy and checking the stock market. Like, they were targeting rich people for their early yeah. iPhone for sure. But then it got cheaper. Everyone bought smartphones and then no one wanted to pay more until everyone realized I use this constantly every day. And now there's $2,000 phones. <laughs> like arguably Apple's almost mid range compared to the stuff Samsung and Sony charge for some of their yeah. highest end phones. So do, do you not think there could be like, like what's going on right now? Couldn't that actually be what happened with the gen one iPhone? And then but to get everyone to buy in, it has to become cheaper. Well, so to see, so um, I also do a lot of talks with industry people or like supply chain stuff. And even Cambria, which is a high end device, it's not going to have nearly the same adoption rate as the Quest 2. That's just a given. They are packing so many cameras in, into the, the headset. Apple's doing something very similar, like just 15, 14, 15 cameras per device. And right now, or, or I should say, at the beginning of the year, those cameras per unit were, were pretty expensive. But just because these companies are ordering so many, more fabs are being built just for this one process. So even just the, the small sensor cameras that are mostly designed for computer vision or, mm -hmm. or high-end face tracking. Those costs are already coming down, even though it's just high-end devices. So again, it comes back to, I, I think it's going to start in the high-end, um, but, but because there's so much high-end and so much innovation happening in the high-end, there's going to be a lot more of these features coming to the low end later. And you see that even when uh, Meta talks about it, they say, okay, we're going to work on all the best features in the high end, and we're going to pick the features that we think are most valuable or probably most cheapest um, the next year and put that in the Quest 3. So, like, I, That's I, an I, interesting point because I was talking to some people at Meta, and they were looking at the Quest Pro, which is codenamed Cambria or Monterey, as oh, – there's like 10 other codenames. names. Uh, yeah, like. <laughs> As uh, a lot of them weren't very confident in it. Actually, the original price I saw was 1500 and they might consider lower. And they were comparing it to $2,000 laptops internally. And I'm like, 
I don't think this is a laptop competitor, you guys. So, but you said maybe they'll just put this expensive thing out and then the things people actually end up using, they use for the Quest 3. That is an interesting point I hadn't thought about. That's a beta test if you have the money. Exactly. Enthusiast first, then it uh, trickles down. Um, Like even for, uh, I I, I, I do a lot of data mining and and, uh, Meta accidentally leaks some special prototypes in the, the Quest firmware. So we even see like a uh, a prototype of Quest with a, like some eye and face tracking cameras that are clearly not meant for Quest 2. So you can be like, okay, well, uh, Meta, their social media company, they value the camera stuff. It's very likely that feature is going to make it to the next low-end device. They're basically trying to recreate a, a social media network, but in VR. I think for them, they want that feature first. So it does kind of align with their principles as well. But yeah, it, it could it could not happen. Um yeah, for sure. Well, everything you've said about the Quest Pro, though, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's what they're doing. It's just, I don't know that they're sure what they want to do with the next one, but l- let's just say this, though, because this leads into a reader mail here. Um, let's say whatever Quest device out of the 20 they're working on is out at the time, they're going to have something around a grand, let's say 500 to $1,000 that's high end and wireless. And then on the other end, PSVR 2 might be $300. All right. Crazy, what's wrong? Heat getting you down? No? You're paying too much for Windows keys? Well, come on, you know you don't have to do that by now. After all, it's certainly been no secret that CDKeyOffer.com has been a reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for years. They're the go-to place that I recommend my fans use for getting PlayStation, Microsoft Office, and Windows operating system keys for reasonable prices. You don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of the percentage of your build's price on a Windows operating system. Go to CDKeyOffer.com to get a legitimate, reliable key to build your new system without wasting too much money. I use them to make the Alder Lake system next to me for benchmarking graphics cards. And if I build a Zen 4 or Raptor Lake system this fall, you can bet I will be going to cdkeyoffer.com right away to get a reasonably priced Windows 11 key. If you do go to cdkeyoffer.com, make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows software and DieString to get 3% off everything else on the website. They even sell gaming chairs, mice, and keyboards right now. It's a good place to go to to get reasonably priced products and to also show your support for Moore's Law is Dead. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. Barrig writes and he says, hey, Tom and Bradley, considering the high cost of the index or considering the cost is high still to this day, do you think that Valve will have to adjust its planned MSRP of the Deckard and at least the entry models of its variants as well as that of the index to compete with the Quest 2 and the successors at lower MSRPs? I personally always wanted to get into VR, but never had the funds until recently. So I'm really interested in what the next generation of VR and AR devices will bring to the table. Like, Can they afford to make this whole thing $1,000 again? I don't think Valve is going to directly compete with the Quest 2 on price. Um, one thing that people kind of... So, so it, it's kind of an outlier because Valve released the Steam Deck, which was, you know, that was it $400 for the base unit, which is a pretty yeah. good price. But when it comes to VR, um, I don't think Valve is a company that likes to compete to the bottom. Um, I think they're very big on, like, trying to push hardware. And the reason why I think this more than... Uh, anything else is people are like well they have to compete with the quest 2 or otherwise they're not going to sell units 
the index still sells very well, surprisingly. I, I don't even know why. It's almost three years old at this point, um, even mm-hmm. though I use it daily. But at the very least, if you look at the Steam, uh, like you, you can look at the Steam hardware charts, and the, the most used headset on Steam, 50% of users use the Quest 2. You might be like, oh, that, that Valve must be worried. But my the way I see it is, Meta is cutting the bill on uh, losing on every unit, and people are plugging it into Steam's platform where they make most of the money. They're not going to make money on hardware. They already have their platform. So the way I see it is Valve will push the high end again um, because, mm. I mean, Quest 2, you can plug it in, you can connect it wirelessly to Steam VR, um, and that's what most people are doing as a budget PC VR device. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, no matter what happens, they can't really afford to try to be the volume winner. Like, yeah. they're o- they own the store. They're always going to be the premium device, at least in this space. The only reason they're the budget device and handheld PC gaming is because, frankly, they no competition, if we're being completely honest here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, and I guess I, I've been reading a lot about what made us worried about recently and it's funny they they only ever really bring up like apple they don't even really consider the others competitors at this point and and, and except that they're worried like amazon's going to get involved and just make some 200 dollar amazon basic vr device and spit them out like crazy and i'm not really sure i guess that probably would threaten meta and valve would be like whatever we've still got our 1000 dollar device right yeah I mean, again, I, I, Valve makes so much money on a, like, you know, people also want to bring up Meta, how, like, they're they're struggling right now financially because their ads business is just not a very, like, they still make a ton of money for sure. But you see you see the rate of where things are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, iPhone activated privacy feeding uh, features that just tanked their ads business a lot, right? So their basis... Um, of their business is just difficult and they have to transition to VR. Whereas Valve, their basis is Steam. And even today, Steam Summer Sale, they're making billions and billions of dollars. They Their moneymaker is Steam. Um, so if they just have that platform, have CBR, um, every hardware, um, I mean, even the, the closest competitor to the Quest 2 today, even, it's called the, uh, the Pico Neo 3 and the Neo 3 Link, which is from the company who owns TikTok, uh, that's near the price. And they literally sell a cable just so you can plug it into a PC and it uses Steam VR. So mm-hmm. it's like, what w- what is pushing Valve from a perspective to compete against a low end when they... They can never win that battle. Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah, I guess that's that's an interesting point. And then I guess just to put a pin in this part of the conversation for now, you, you don't see PSVR is really directly competing with them. You said that's now, or I think you said it's an outlier. Does that mean it's not a competitor or it's more of a wild card? I think it's a wild card because I see every company trying to push out of gaming, even the meta quest Two. Uh, it started as a gaming device, but you can see they're adding a lot of features that are not really gaming focused. They're trying to give um, a lot of that software that they're working on for Cambria and adding it to the Quest 2. Um, so I think for PSVR 2, that'll be probably the best device for gamers for a while if they want a VR gaming device is really where I'm kind of standing at. Mm-hmm. But but right, and as someone who's used VR for a while, you don't see your VR device as strictly a platform for just a few games. You see it as a platform for doing all different types of things, and at least right now, it doesn't 
right? Seem like PSVR is going to have those non-gaming apps yet. I, yeah, I, I just think again, I, the the big thing happening right now is an AR focus, especially. There's a ton of ridiculous hype over mixed reality. Um, maybe even a little too much hype. I think it might fall back a little bit to the VR side. But all these companies are realizing that AR glasses, the concept of AR glasses, are impossible right now so mm. but they they, they want to build these platforms especially when meta is kind of just controlling the space and i i, I do agree meta's wh- horrified apple like apple has every advantage over them just from like there's a lot more trust in apple they have the supply chains that meta can't bring and they have the, the ecosystem like every iphone is technically already an ar device that you can scan your environment mm. with lidar and do all the things so Meta doesn't have that. They have their headsets, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, it would. They just. They. I, and I. I'm, from what I heard, the Quest Pro was actually supposed to come out last year, but yeah, the pandemic caused to. them to delay it. And if they would have been out a year early, that would have been such an advantage, I suppose. But at this point, you're right. Like Apple could just come out and be like, and Apple has their custom SOCs that they're designing that are very efficient. They have the software infrastructure and the fan base that will probably buy it up. And and they have a lot of business, like a lot of businesses just use iPhones now. They don't use Blackberries anymore. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what even to say about this part of it, except that I think we're both just starting to agree a lot that made us in a precarious position. <laughs> Well, did you watch all that? Uh, it was like last week or this week. Meta just like dumped a bunch of other prototype work in video form. Um, I heard about that, but I didn't watch it. Yeah. I was shocked uh, that they like, I, I was not expecting something like that. It, it was like a bit of a like cry for help to me, but I know people might not agree about it because like they were saying they, at the very end of all these videos, they showed a pro, like a very concept device. Mm. Like they didn't have a prototype or anything. They were like, oh, we're going to have something called reverse pass through, which is like they'll show like eyes on the outside for people that are looking at the headset. And the reason why I know it sounds ridiculous, it sounds ridiculous to everyone that the VR community as well. But Apple is apparently very bullish on that feature and are even including an outer OLED display just to show eyes to people watching them. So like and, and like they show this concept off. It has like a lot of like very like a lot of the same rumored specs and form factor of the Mm -hmm. apple headset and they're like oh yeah we're not going to reach that for like eight years or something honestly what you're describing sounds a lot to me like intel's presentations lately i don't know how much you follow like the leaker space and like intel and stuff but it usually goes intel reveals this crazy looking thing with 50 chiplets and they're like comes in 2025 and then you go with an asterisk nothing we've announced actually comes out when we say it does (laughs) and then amd's like we have this thing that's mostly as good that comes out next year and it actually will (laughs) yeah yeah no yeah i I do think like i i think meta is not gonna like die in this space but i i do think when people compare cambria versus whatever apple is working on People are gonna be like, why would I invest in Cambria in comparison? It's again a lot of the same features, but Apple has the custom silicon. They have the higher end chips that are also custom silicon in their own way. So yeah, it's madness. All right. So I want to start transitioning the discussion into more traditional fare. When I reached out to you via email, you said one of the things you you noticed recently from my content and that you wanted to talk about directly was the little Phoenix leak. You know, so, I mean, I guess just let me ask openly right here, like, what caught your eye about Phoenix in general? 
from AMD, which for those listening, because a lot of people listening are probably, you know, just fans of you. This is a the APU coming out next year from AMD is kind of the standard APU. They're going to have smaller ones, bigger ones. This is the main one, and it's going to be, you know, 50 to 80 percent better than the previous gen like they typically do every year. You know, this is what they're going to have as the standard thing competing with i7s and i9s and i5s and laptops. So, so what caught your eye about that upcoming APU from AMD? So um, I know we, we didn't have much time to talk about uh, the Deckard, which is Valve's next headset. But really, um, talk about I'm, it now, then. If you <laughs> yeah, want it's to, perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. So uh, I'm even though I, I cover leaks from multiple companies, I, I think I am the, the, the main one that everyone knows, like, OK, Brad's the, the, the Valve shill. He always wants to leak Deckard and, and follows that uh, project religiously. Well, um, it's been notable for a while that Valve has been working to this goal of releasing a standalone x86 uh, VR headset. You say known for a while. When did you first know about it? And like, what was the indication of that? I think uh, I started this summer of last year, actually. So around summer of last year is when I really started pushing it before the Steam Deck was announced. I was like, mm-hmm. this, this, this is, I see okay. a lot of things that are leading up to this. Um, yeah. But, um, and then, and then later on, Valve even started even admitting at like press conferences for the Steam Deck that, yeah, we are interested in doing this. We are interested in, in, in having an x86 chip like the Steam Deck. Uh, one inside of a VR headset in some way. They obviously weren't going to go into detail about that, but they did hint a lot of that um, m- multiple times, especially with the launch. Gabe Newell was saying, yeah, this is the step to that that full standalone PC VR experience for them. Um, and it also makes sense from a business perspective. Valve does not want to create an ARM store for Steam. They just want to just True. build a, a unit that can play their entire steam store and, and push yeah, they're putting further. all this effort into making x86 windows games work on proton in their own operating system that could that could arguably be the groundwork for a new device that will natively run these games in vr interesting and you know what um I mean, a lot of people don't know this and i think it's hilarious because uh, valve is a company when they leave stuff in the code and, and like name things, uh, they know their community are ravenous or just going to like data mine it. And so they'll purposely leak stuff out there all the time and it benefits me. But uh, AMD OS, does that too. But yeah, like, it, I mean, it, they know fun. people look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. It's great. It's organic marketing and I like it. But um, uh, Steam OS 3, which is what released with the Steam Deck, it, they completely changed their code name scheme for their operating system. They used to name it after Dota 2 Heroes or something, the older versions. But for this, they named it Hollow. And if you combine the idea of Hollow and it released on the deck, if you combine those words yeah. together, Hollow, de- hilarious. And I don't, it's not, it's not, a, it's just, you know, they're nerds and they, they do that fun stuff. So yeah, I, I do believe everything that they, wor- they worked on for Steam Deck was R&D that they probably either pushed or did stuff for their headset. And they were like, okay, well, we did all this R&D. Um, there's this market that we can tap into with our R&D, which was the handheld market, and they released something. But um, so last year, this is this is where the picture of, of Deckard and like, um, it, it really became clear because there was a version of SteamOS 3 that a Valve employee accidentally uploaded onto a more public uh, Steam discussion board than he was... I don't think he realized it was as public as it was. Um, he was trying to help out a developer recover their firmware for their dev kit. 
And um, he deleted it five minutes after uploading it. But, you know, again, Valve people are crazy. They backed it up. And in that version, that backup of SteamOS 3, there was a only three references to VR in the Deckard, which is a confirmed code name. Like Ars Technica said it's confirmed. They have sources and everything. Um, and in that, it was very confusing because uh, they had a entire system that was dedicated to reporting thermals of a Snapdragon-type chip mm-hmm. to the x86 SteamOS 3 or whatever. So while I was like kind of confused, I was like, okay, well, Valve was, was saying for a while they must be wanting to do an x86 chip, then why are they having prototypes with a Snapdragon chip this late in development for this headset? Um, and then I started, I, I like to look at their patents. They don't publish many patents. They're, they just, they're not like Apple who releases like 100 patents a week or whatever. Um, and you can make connections from data mining things and, and their patents they have and stuff. And you can see they're very big on this idea. And Apple is too, by the way. They're doing almost the exact same thing where they want to pair like an ARM chip uh, to do a lot of stuff like take in camera sensor data, mm. do a lot of interesting stuff. And I think that Valve wants to at some point, maybe not at launch, I'm not really sure, but have like a, a, a compute unit that either straps to the back of your head or something that would connect directly to the front. So you do this it's oh, split that's a rendering good idea. a little bit, kind of. Um, they have patents on it. But the idea is like the chip on the front, it's low power. It does a lot of the sensor data. It does reprojection on board. It does a lot of things and also enables wireless. If you don't want that compute unit, you can connect wirelessly to a PC, for example, like a Wi-Fi SOC. So it behaves very similar to, to how a Quest 2 would work with your PC via AirLink. Except the idea is that they're they're just tailoring it to work together with the next eighty six thing. Can I raise my hand? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and here's a funny reference too to like how simple this would be to add on to a device like this. Um, I recently had someone in the Moore's Laws at Discord ask. Has like, has anyone considered like adding an add-on battery to the Quest 2 so it has longer battery life? And I'm like, well, that's the first thing people thought to do. <laughs> and he's like, oh, how much does it cost? And I was like, to be fair, like it's powered by USB-C to charge it. You can you can literally use any power bank if it has enough amperage output with a. You just put it in your pocket, put a cord, <laughs> and plug it in. Like what you're describing, I don't see why you couldn't design practically a quest 2 clone that uses an xr2 but then have a usb draw thing plug into it from the steam like deck of cards if you will like they could literally make kind of like a i don't know what was it called Uh, playstation tv that that little like brick that was its own vita i mean why can't you do that with the steam deck and then have a few usb ports on it if you want to plug it into a monitor and just have the most portable gaming desktop on earth Hey, there you go. But if you made it small enough, you could just slot it into a cage on the back of your head, plug a thing in. And now they have this device they can, well, you can use it for office PCs, put it on the back of a lap, you know, on the back of a, a display. You can use this thing again, like a portable gaming device, or you can use it as arguably an upgradable thing too. Like they could sell the second version. It just slots in on the back of your head. I hadn't heard about this or thought about it. This is a common sense idea that would play into their entire ecosystem. Exactly. And you, you see all these uh, these changes with DisplayPort, like everyone's switching to USB-C um, just to run DisplayPort and power and everything through the cable. Like, 
it would fit marvelously. And then like, you know, talking about how they could, you know, they, they could release little Phoenix or whatever one year and have that be the thing that connects to the headset. Well, people can keep that good mm-hmm. front part. And then again, when that back part has a new version, they can just slot that in, keep the same headset, even though it's high end, it's upgradable. Like a PC is like the PC VR community is used to upgrading PCs at the same time valve doesn't have to spend so much r&d on the back and like whenever they decide okay well we not we now got to work on the front part again let's start spending r&d only on the mm-hmm. front it's just a continuous cycle that i think would benefit valve immensely in the long term you know and this avoids one of the major pitfalls that i've heard from people working at meta on the quest 3 is they don't there's there's a big internal struggle going on inside meta right now over price like we've already hinted at it. Like they're worried about the what did they call it? The fire VR. <laughs> like from Amazon yeah. getting yeah. pumped out for two hundred dollars. You go onto Amazon and search VR. Amazon recommended our VR device for two hundred dollars, and so they're not sure what to do. What do we do with resolution? Do we make a new controller? Do we put a better APU in there? It's not really as strong as a PS Five. So what's the point in putting this in there? If you just make it upgradable, you avoid all of those issues. And it's still. And it's still, you can still release something that benefits people that have their giant PC rig at home, which, you know, is the core of a lot of people on Steam, because it'll still work the same way. You can run a wire or do Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and just connect it to your Omega strong rig that people have anyway. So a lot of custom customizability on what um, the, their customers might want to do with it. So I think it's, it makes a lot of sense. Like you could even see like someone, a fan, like 3D print a laptop chassis that it slots into and then slot a battery into it. That'd be funny. You yeah, know, yeah. you could do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess then this brings me to like, I think the most important question, and, and I think this is a brilliant idea. Now I'm excited. I'm like, oh, I didn't <laughs> think about like this upgradable micro desktop that you can keep swapping out between things. That, that's just such common sense. Um, but do you think it would really be strong enough though? And I did include in the notes for our discussion, a comparison of the APUs of the last few years from AMD. I don't think little Phoenix is quite there. And I, I know you have a video where you, well, let, yeah, let me ask that. I know you have a video where you hooked up the steam deck to a VR, to, like, did it work well with frame rates that worked? Did you like try half-life Alex on Van Gogh's eight compute units? Some people have. I, I haven't done too much myself. I just kind of re-reported what other people have done. Um, some people have gotten okay stuff. Some people have gotten terrible performance. But um, I think for what it is, uh, it's not even optimized software-wise for it. You still have to run Steam VR. You have to still do all mm. these processes. And it still can do some things that I find impressive. Um, the one thing I really want to, to bring apart about all of this is there's a lot of systems in Steam VR that show that Valve have ideas to offload a lot of that processing onto the actual headset itself. Like there's something called a standalone system layer in the a Valve internal menu. And if you turn that on, that turns off a huge heavy process in SteamVR alone that they can now just have it focused on the game. So I think a lot of it is software mm-hmm. um, because if you compare, honestly, like for all, all the benefits, uh, if you compare even just the Van Gogh chip to the XR2 chip, I mean, you could probably see there would be a pretty equal amount of like at least equal or, or more performance. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I would say Van Gogh is easily 30% minimum better than the XR2. To be honest, it's probably up to twice as powerful. <laughs> right. And if this idea catches on and um, 
Valve goes for it. Developers have been getting very used to recently optimizing VR games for low-end hardware. Um, I mean, the Quest 2, uh, the one benefit Quest 2 has is because it's sold in so many units, every developer is developing their, their games for Quest 2 first and foremost right now mm-hmm. because that's where the money is. So they've had to learn all these tricks to get a full-fledged VR game working on this three-year-old mobile SoC. So, and <laughs> this is another, I'm sorry, I, I love talking about this, but another thing that they That's why you're here, man. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, feature they introduced with the Steam Deck that was like, oh my God, that would make so much more sense for an optimized version for an XA6 standalone headset. And uh, this is a feature that not many people know about, but uh, Dell developers can have an own depot of files built just for optimized for the Steam Deck. So like, let's say the main PC mm-hmm. game has high resolution 4K textures. Well, a developer can even have a different depot with their Steam game to upload a lot lower quality stuff so it runs well on the Steam Deck. They could do something very similar to that for a standalone X86 VR headset. The, the, the actual infrastructure for that is already built into Steam. So when I see all the things that Valve is doing for the Steam Deck, I'm like, that makes total sense how they can transition it to a VR headset. Yeah, I mean, the the part that you're convincing me of the most is the thing that I've always would push back on. And it's something I can point to right now with Valve is Valve is not Microsoft. They're not even Sony. Like you look at the size of their market, like of their market cap, it's my God, is it a smaller company? (laughs) You know, and and a lot of people complain about not being able to get a Steam Deck. And the answer I always give people is Sony's having trouble making enough PS5s. How much mm-hmm. weight do you think they're throwing around at TSMC right now versus right. Valve guys? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, but that means, you know, they will only work on things that have cross-pollination and synergy, to use that overquoted uh, corporate term, between a bunch of their stuff. But what you're describing is direct benefits between all of these things, and that's why it's worth the effort. Yeah, that's exactly it. Again, they, they call this, it makes no sense for them to have a reference to the deck for a handheld gaming PC. Yet SteamOS 3 is called Hollow. And like mm-hmm. there's a lot of small things just like that. It makes no sense actually. If you think about it, going back to that leak with the, the ARM chip, why why does the Steam why does a Steam Deck firmware backup have systems to communicate with a VR headset? So again, it's just they're they're taking a lot of stuff, giving um, just building off of it uh, all that R and D they're doing internally. Well, and so I guess I want to touch on this, though, the idea of Valve using the processing of an XR2 for all of the tracking and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's mostly CPU, though, right? The GPU is not doing that. And in the comparison of the notes we have here, I'm only focusing on GPU performance. I'm not really worried about Phoenix having a good enough CPU or even Little Phoenix. I think the CPU is good enough for gaming in 90 hertz or whatever or higher. Um but how much it is just the cpu though right like, mostly cpu for sure yeah and i guess though theoretically they could totally offload some of that if they rid it i'm sorry wrote it specifically for that if you connected it with usb i guess there's no reason it'd take work but it's you know the ps4 had an arm chip for background tasks they can do that you know and then there's also the benefit when you think about gro- like I, I agree that they would offload all the cpu stuff or the tracking stuff onto the arm chip for sure um, and then use that to communicate the data to the graphics chip that only has to mostly do the game for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. 
But also, you also think about graphics processing. Every high-end headset is including eye tracking. So we're finally starting to get that foveated rendering that That's true. the industry has been talking about for a while. And for PSVR 2, Unity did a, uh, a keynote about this. They, they get at least two times the performance yeah. with eye tracking. So that, that is a good number. And I and just to touch on that too, I've talked to some people working on the PSVR too, and they're like, "Do not sleep on the stuff being shown about foveated." They're like, "Look, that's like an up to. It, most games aren't going to double their frame rates because of it." But I, I, I've heard they're like, "No, we're getting twenty to fifty percent more performance in some games due to foveated rendering. We're not worried about running the PSVR's resolution at one twenty hertz. Actually, it's going to be fine." Yeah, and um, another big thing people don't realize is uh, reprojection technology. That's where a lot of uh, headsets they might have they might not be able to hit their max frame rate, which is like around 120 hertz usually. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the, the game data will only send 60 hertz, and then a chip will. Well, for PC VR, the, your PC has been doing all of that. It's been doing mm-hmm. the tracking. It's been doing the game. It's been doing the Steam VR overlays. It's been doing the reprojection. But there's a lot of benefits to actually having a, the chip on the headset, an arm chip, do the reprojection for you. I even think PSVR 2, they're using like some sort of, like, I don't remember what kind of chip, but they, they have some sort of chip on board. And I think that they're probably also looking to do um, reprojection. How much do you know on... about that? Because I haven't actually paid that much attention to PSVR 2 recently. So I would assume it has to have some chip, obviously, just to turn on inside of it. But like, do you know how good the chip is? I'm sh- I assume it's weaker than the XR2s. Yeah, it's nothing It's nothing as serious as the XR2, but it is something that they can still do, again, something like reprojection on board. Because um, even, even the PSVR 1, they had that link box and, 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 and that was doing reprojection before it sent to the headset finally so very similar concept it's nothing like an xr2 but it's on on board this time not to get off subject but the reason i bring that up is when i brought up that i didn't like that it had a USB-C connection to one of my contacts i because i was really because i knew they had prototypes that were wireless i'm like come on do it make it wireless um he said yeah i don't know what that's about they didn't really need that and I'm like, so you confirm like it works wirelessly. I wonder how good the processor in it is and how much RAM is inside of that. Because I also think, again, to the idea of like, well, all we know is this thing needs USB-C as far as we can tell for power. Like, is there a chance they could sell an adapter to make the PSVR 2 wireless as an upgrade? I- I'm a little skeptical of that, but that's yeah. something I'm kind of wondering if you think that could be possible too. I haven't looked into it much myself. Um, the only thing I worry about is probably is that stra- I, I I know the the cord itself is like embedded directly into that unit. Um, oh, okay. So that that adds a big issue. So I don't know if you can actually remove that. So they'd probably head. have to make like a box you put in your pocket or something. Yeah, that's that's where I see it for sure. Well, going back then to Phoenix, I, I want to ask about this question again, though, kind of like. All right, so with foveated rendering, I'll give you it. I definitely think Big Phoenix is strong enough. Actually, I mm-hmm. thought Big Phoenix was strong enough anyways. Like, it is. Like, it's probably, and there's a lot of consternation online about how good it is. But if we're being honest, guys, like, let's forget inside sources for a second. AMD publicly said RDNA 3 is 50% more performance per watt than RDNA 2. So I think Phoenix is probably... You know, that's the minimum, maybe 60% better than, you know, what was in Rembrandt, because they're not going to make their APU use more power in a laptop. So 
I think once you get that much stronger, you're just you're just about at that RX 480 performance level, you know, which is still, you know, as I put in the notes here, this is a 2016 $240 GPU. I guess, is that what you want, though? Like, I know that that's exciting that they can probably do that in an APU, but we're talking about something that is about the performance of, like, a $400 console from six years ago. That's not that impressive. Like, do you want VR to push graphics more? Like, because if this happens and it takes a ton of market share, I wonder how many people who are fans of VR are worried about the idea of, you know, well, but I want the graphics to get better. We're still, I mean, we're getting to the point where games are starting to look a little smartphone-y even using an RX 480. Yeah, it is like one of those things where like, you're always going to have, you're always going to sacrifice something for the full standalone experience, no matter what. Um, even we'll to talk about this in a minute, but um, Apple, they're rumored to have an M2 chip inside of their VR headset, which I heard I, there's overheating issues, by the way. I've heard that that's the rumor that made us worried about but that. Now they're saying that they have massive overheating issues. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been like the industry talk. But uh, it, it sounds sounds like from more recent things that they are they 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 figured it out i don't know how maybe they're toning down the wattage or something i was gonna say just clock it lower yeah but like um the one interesting thing about that headset and this is where things get like really weird and, and like I, I i i i i so 2019 there was a really bizarre rumor that was reported by uh digi times and even though they don't have like the best track record it was one of those things that was like hard to ignore at the time but they said that Valve and Apple were teaming up on an AR headset or something. Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, with DigiTimes, my concern with them, because they have, especially recently, got quite a few misses, is yeah. just that they only know, like, if they're looking at a painting, they only see a fourth of it. And you might right. be like, that's a boat. And it's like, no, it was an airplane. And an airplane's not a boat. You know? Yeah, yeah. What? But I will say that that article made me go on to, like, a research spree a little bit. And it led me to um, a company I think that they might have both been interested in for designing uh, OLED on silicon displays. And I think that's where maybe some of the things came out. But when you compare what Apple is rumored, like all the specs that Apple is wanting to work on for their headset, they want to have like an A, like they call it Bora, which is like an A14 type chip, like what's mm -hmm. an iPhone, but also the M2 chip. And they want those chips to, they want to offload the processes on the A14 chip and then have the M2 chip do all the mm -hmm. graphics rendering and everything. And then you, you hear what I've been talking about, what Valve seems to be wanting to do, where they're taking a Qualcomm chip and then pairing it later on with an x86 SoC or whatever. So it's like you see a lot of cross-pollination of ideas there. And then you see... Um, <sighs> It's just it's just very interesting because I, I, I think, yeah, you are going to have to sacrifice a lot just to get that full standalone. Will people do it? I guess we're going to have to find out at these high costs because when you start talking about these the mm -hmm. multiple chips and everything and high-resolution displays, they're going to be high costs. But at the same time, you also think about um, not, if not everyone has to do it, they still have to build a PC to begin with um, for some people. And some people already do that. So... Because there's always going to be a choice, is what I'm saying. There's always going to be that that sacrifice. Uh, these things cost battery life. These things like 
have their own issues. And um, I, I don't think any company knows for sure what's going to be best. Um, Meta doesn't seem to be doing any of this. They're just still relying on the XR2 chip to do yeah. everything. You know, there's so, a lot of like treading water going on there right now. It's it's a bit odd. Yeah. So so what is going to win? Uh, are people willing to sacrifice huge performance for the most thin and light, uh, low power everything? Or are people going to want to go to the other extreme? You know, I think time will tell for that. Well, I think the good news, though, and why I like what you've been describing with Valve's holodeck approach <laughs> so much is that they don't care. I mean, they do. They want mm -hmm. everything they make to sell 100 million. But at the same time, like they're going to make a headset that works with a desktop, you know, high fives all around. And then if you want, you can add this device that I'm assuming will also plug into a TV and work as a portable gaming console as well. So at least there's that added functionality when this thing becomes a thousand dollars or something of like, yeah, but you can bring this anywhere, plug it in, plug in a keyboard and use it as your laptop, man. Or, you know, like you don't have to only use it for this. That's why I think they might have an ace up their sleeve with that one. Um, although it's funny, I was talking to someone in the comments section on YouTube about like, could they overclock Phoenix enough, little Phoenix enough, which for those who don't know, I mean, we're looking at something that's between 50 to hundred percent better than Van Gogh. So you're looking at honestly, Rembrandt performance now, but using less energy. I think if they pushed it to 25 Watts, they could get to that performance. But again, at that point I was like, so let me, you're overclocking the smaller one to get to near the performance of the big one. Isn't this going to be $1,000? Just pay for the big one, man. Yeah. And that's where I wonder with Little Phoenix, but I guess they could sell both. They could sell a little and big version in whatever you want to pay for. You know, they just say, hey, this is barely good enough. This one's easily good enough. And isn't like these processors starting to add like neural, uh, like, like eight, like neural processing units to them? They are, and AMD's been very quiet about what that means. Like they are, there are, they have this um, acronym under the Phoenix information on their roadmap. It's like Phoenix, 4 nanometer, Zen 4, RDNA 3, AIE, AI engine. So they're not really saying what that means. But yes, it has that. Yeah, so that's that's always uh, very beneficial beneficial for the XR people because uh, there's a lot of computer vision involved in what we do, especially uh, as things are be moving more toward computer-enabled tracking, whether that's hands, fingers, uh, mapping out environments and stuff. Having a core just focus on doing that and these a these SOCs or APUs is something notable, I think, from coming from the XR side. Yeah. Um, all right, let me start transitioning into some reader mail questions here. So QH Freddy writes in and he says, Do you think there will be a mega APU for consumers? So when I say consumers, I'm not talking about a console in the foreseeable future, something that actually performs in the ballpark to one of the latest 128 to 192 bit dedicated GPUs. I've become more and more certain actually that this is not going to happen since the market for one of those devices is small and basically always better served by a less powerful integrated GPU combined with small to medium sized dedicated cards. The cost for increased memory bandwidth to the dedicated GPU level is just too high for the size of that market. And I think, this has been a, a big discussion. You know, I did videos 
two or three years ago now talking about where APUs could go if AMD really pushed it, but they've really kind of gotten lazy with how hard they pushed APU graphics. And if you actually like look at the increase in performance of their APUs, it's like almost one-to-one just divide the latest DDR speed. Like that's the increase in GPU performance. They're not bothering to push it at all. So, so like, what do you, do you think we're going to see them like finally push something with like some amount of infinity cache on die HBM or something for a laptop? Or do you think it just doesn't make sense compared to putting a GPU with it? I think they'll only do it if someone gives them a ton of money. I don't think there's any benefit. Like even like, you know, we're talking about how Steam Deck doesn't have any competitors. All, all, all the competitors it does have, they're just, they're still using the APUs that are available. And I think most markets will continue to do that, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about it. So I think I mostly agree um, with QH Freddy that at this point, look, if AMD wants to, there's enough room on AM4 and certainly on AM5 socket. They could make something like right now that has like, I mean, honestly, if they used vCache, they could probably give it 64 megabytes of infinity cache. They could probably give this thing 32 compute units and like they could do it. It's just who is buying this $400 APU instead of a $300 graphics card that for a system they already have. And I just I think for now, AMD is just more migrating towards a more like what Intel's been doing for a while. But every now and then they throw something out for a specific customer. And until they see a huge opening, the only opening I would see is that it's just cheaper to ship a CPU without any cooler, like on a graphics card and stuff. But at the same time, APUs are getting good enough that you can kind of game in 1080p already. So I don't see why they would push into the $400 realm. I think they're always going to keep it sub 300, which means just a better than average APU, not a mega one. Um, Marvolo Riddle writes, and he says, hey, Tom and Bradley, with AMD and Apple having a massive advantage over Intel in terms of efficiency, what do you think Intel's response to Phoenix should be if AMD is ahead in both performance and battery life with Phoenix and Dragon Range? The laptop market is one of the few PC market segments left with decent growth and efficiency, and I think that's going to be important for VR headsets as well if that market takes off. Hmm, I'll let you go first. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's okay. On my side, I, I think for VR in general, I, I don't think CPU is really the issue at this point. Um, I think everyone cares more about the GPU power when it comes to VR headsets. And one benefit that another thing I just want to bring up real quick before I let you go is uh, one benefit GPUs are starting to have now is more bandwidth. Like they're starting to seemingly adopt like DisplayPort 2.0. Like again, it's all about GPU on the VR side. Like CPU, great, great to have, but yeah. Yeah, and I mean, what what do you think? What I think the response is to Phoenix and Apple. I nothing's changed. Intel just doesn't want to be behind. <laughs> you know, um, Intel's lost the Apple contract, and I mean, the, their response is trying to catch up with their nodes and maybe stop delays. You know, that's why when I've been talking about recently for those listening about Meteor Lake being delayed from the beginning of next year to later in the year, I'm like. Okay, like, uh, you know, that was your chance to catch up. And and I I don't think there's anything Intel can do besides get a hold of whatever's making them keep delaying every product. Um, 
Swiggles writes in, he says, with a rush of at least vaguely compelling low-end hardware, a glut of current-gen GPUs and most computers still using quad-core CPUs, and mainly bare-minimum GPUs, do you think the time will soon be here where maybe perhaps next year when people will finally give in and raise the low-end standard meaningfully, or will it still be GTX 1060s as the standard for the next three years? And I think this is an interesting question, like, because that still basically is the minimum. And I guess we've already kind of touched on that question. But like, what do you think about this being the minimum still for games? Like, do you think we're finally going to get to a point where these people get rid of their low end G, what are now very low end GPUs? Uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting question because I, I, I'm, I'm more thinking of it as like, it, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be more beneficial um, from like, it's been so hard to get good price gpus in general and i know people for a fact that even who bought a quest 2 coming from the vr side again mm -hmm. they've been wanting to build a like a, a good price pc to do vr um if there's a glut of gpus even secondhand that would be great but i, I think really what it comes down to is we're also also seeing a huge seemingly change i i think from like like sony and microsoft who are now finally deciding yeah, we're going to actually start focusing more on porting AAA games to PC. And I guess it depends on what they what they think is low end at that point. I, I feel like they're going to, for a couple more years, though, still kind of target like the 1060 as the lowest end, in my opinion, just to make it easier for adoption. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it hinges on, I think, I think to directly answer Swiggle's question, I would just say, I, th I think it is finally going to happen. I think, you know, there's been a, a bunch of reasons why we've been stuck on kind of the PS4 and then 1060, which I'm not saying those are the same performance, but, you know, minimum performance for gaming. And I think from what I've heard is there are some third-party devs now saying that this is this year 2022 is pretty much the last year where you have last gen versions mm -hmm. of every third party game so i think the answer is it's probably going to be a perfect storm in the same way we had a perfect storm for shortages a couple years ago we had a once in a century pandemic issue we had pent up demand you know uh because of that and and because of people waiting for the newest tech we had um let me try to think of like very we had war we had all these reasons that you know mining we had all these things happened at once where it caused a shortage and i feel like at the end of this year it's the flip i know people keep some companies like nvidia though they're backtracking now on this we're like we're gonna have shortages till 2024 it's like well that's what they're gonna tell people because they don't want you to wait to buy something but i'm sorry guys like what i'm hearing from people the like warehouses of ampere cards that they're they don't want they could lower the price if they need to they really don't want to and like you see like 3090s hitting ebay for a grand or less all of a sudden i just think at the end of this year we're gonna have like 400 300 3070s 400 3080s we're gonna have the most competitive gpu generation we've seen maybe for a decade or more from amd and nvidia and this is going to come off the back of, unfortunately, some sort of recession that's going to make people less likely to buy a $2,000 graphics card. And I look at all this and then at the same time, devs being like, finally, we're done with the PS4. And I'm like, no, I think I think next year's where graphics are going to get pretty exciting, you know, and it's, it's going to be because of all of these things.
This summer, whether you're getting exercise outside or finding ways to stay active indoors like me, it's always nice to have something around that acts as a quick and tasty meal that's also healthy, full of protein, and reasonably priced. For me, that's Vite Ramen, who is a sponsor of this piece of content. Vite Ramen is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and crafts a protein and nutrient-dense meal that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. In fact, it's even quicker now with Ramen Go, a product that offers the same calories and taste as their traditional V3 packages you're probably used to now if you're a follower of this channel, while allowing you to even more quickly make your food or bring it to work for lunch. And they keep updating their recipes, like the new V3 edition of Beef Pho, so you keep having fun new flavors to try. Click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different special bundles just for Moore's Laws at fans that include things like spoons, chopsticks, and more if you so choose. This is a great deal for you, and it helps support this channel tremendously. Seriously, I eat it. It's tasty. It's healthy. It's fast. They keep making even better and better recipes that are quicker and quicker to make, and it's reasonably priced. Try Vite Ramen today. Um, Let me see here. So Riza writes in, or he says that's Riza, not Riza. Y as in Sky. Well, he changed his Patreon name, so I'd say his name correctly. I'm sorry. So Ryza5 writes in and he says, so many of us have waited this long without upgrading to a new GPU. I'm still happily using my 1080 Ti for a 21 by 9 1440 monitor at 100 hertz. And NVIDIA is apparently having a hard time moving the remaining 3000 series stock. On the one hand, this may pressure NVIDIA to set reasonable prices for upcoming 4000 series cards, but I have to wonder if the gaming community is just better informed because of channels like Morris Law's Dead and others about the pent up demand and they're just going to refuse to buy it. What do you think? And then Actually, let me just throw in Kennehoon's question as well. He says, Tom and Bradley, I want to talk about the pricing. Do you really think NVIDIA and AMD are going to charge $2,000 for the next-gen top cards? We're already seeing 3090s fall in price towards the 3090s original MSRP. Yeah, I've seen $1,600 3090 Ti's already. Like, Can they really afford to charge $2,000 for a flagship when it sounds like a 7700 XT is going to be below $600? Like, who is actually going to pay over $800 for this? Um, so yeah. Combining that, like, what do you expect out of, and I'm just kind of springboarding this into this whole conversation here, out of next generation Lovelace RDNA 3, first of all, pricing, but then anything else you want to talk about, too? Well, I, I do remember, like, the last time this kind of happened, um, it was, like, what, 2016, I think, again, that we had, like, a huge shortage for a while, and then, like, a glut, and then new GPUs came out. Um, I think yeah, I think, like, 2019 period. is where things basically completely crashed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think history repeats itself and we might have that again, which would be awesome. I uh, just coming from a PCVR side, like I, I, I don't think there's going to be $2,000 cards. I think that would be crazy in today's climate. Well, if there is, I don't know how much it matters either. Mm -hmm. Like from here's the problem though, is, you know, I did these like leaks in late 2020 about nvidia's early pricing for some of their higher end products right and how that really fancy founders cooler really wasn't very profitable on the 3080 for 700 dollars. and there's a reason you saw aib is selling cheaper coolers for 800 900 just at launch like they it wasn't that profitable and four nanometer is double the price of what mm. samsung's charging for eight at least and they're putting all this GDR, all this ex really expensive RAM on there. They're using massive dies. I'm just being honest. I don't think, I don't think the 
4090 is profitable below like 900 bucks or something. So I, I'm not sure, right? I, but I, I would say that I doubt they're going to throw on these ridiculous $200 margins, but I don't think they can charge a small amount for those top ones. Um, I, I don't, I, I guess we're going to have to see it. It would be fascinating if they can't lower prices below a certain amount and the entire community is like, well, guess you can't, we don't want to pay $2,000. Yeah. I, I just think again, they're, they're going to have to compete with all the cards that are going to be on the second hand market. And that's a lot of cards, <laughs> mm. a ridiculous amount. All right, I want to. I like to ask all my guests this question. Illyrium writes and he says, "Hey, Tom and Bradley, I wanted to ask you if there is literally a TDP limit or temperature output limit to your graphics card, a line that you would not cross." Well, well, let me go first and say I don't care what the temperature output is as long as they prove it doesn't break. Like whatever, I'm not going to armchair engineer these companies. Um, I think there are some cards that were literally designed for 95 watts. I mean, 95 Celsius. I think there were some cards like 3090s breaking where, no, I think they did push it a little too hard. But um, is there literally a power consumption? Because I'm sure you've seen the rumors of how high power might go for at least NVIDIA cards. Is there literally a TDP where you're like, I'm not buying it? Like, what is there a line? Mm, no, not for me. Um, I'm in 900 very... watts, triple a 3080. Basically, you just say, bring it up. I'm kind of, I don't know, I've always been a very enthusiast person. So I guess, I guess ideally I wouldn't want to have more than 700, but if something was like really insane and proved it like in a cost performance thing, I'll be like, sure, I don't care how much power I spend. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it's funny. I brought this up to a lot of people and you know what the first thing a lot of people usually say back to me is well anyone buying the two thousand dollar card is someone who's willing to go the extra mile for the performance anyways so i think the limit is just what trips the breaker then <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which i think is about 800 watts by the way for most u.s okay. households so um let me move on then to this to some of the final questions here and this is a this is the one that kind of delayed us starting by like five minutes as i was talking to a source about it so Amigo Garrigo writes in and he says, hello, Tom and Bradley. Have you heard the rumors that some Zen 4 CPUs might launch on AM4, of course, then with DDR4 support? Can you confirm or deny them? It sounds strange to me. Now, let me just ask you, have you heard these rumors at all or seen this pop up? Or is this something that's occurred to you? I saw only one article about it. Like, it was like a week ago. I didn't really. Yeah. So. I'm going to be honest, like I've seen this pop up in the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, I don't know, maybe like a couple times in the past week. And I always just saw it as one of those things like, I don't, what? I don't know. <laughs> and I, before we started recording, I actually reached out to a contact and it sounds like it's possible, actually, guys. <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you. Um, I don't want to disclose too much yet because if I can do a full like leak about it i'd rather it be complete and well researched but what i can say is i thought it sounded ridiculous just because from a positioning point of view but it sounds like what i can confirm is it's not something amd isn't directly considering doing like it's not like it's possible it's like no that they're thinking about it i just don't want to get in depth on it and have it be like that zen 3 plus warhol thing that never came out um 
Although I don't know what what what's your current system? What do you have for a CPU? If you don't mind me asking. Um, yeah, no, not at all. Um, a fifty nine hundred X. Right. Perfect. So you also have an AM four system. I have a thirty nine fifty X. You have the twelve core, but a generation newer than mine. So. From my perspective, what I always wonder is why would AMD put all this money into retracing Zen 4? Presumably, it would have to work with the existing IO die they have, I assume. I don't think they're going to make a custom one for that. It sounds like a lot of, that sounds like millions of dollars of work for some weird Band-Aid product. But at the same, but then they'd have to like do all the tracing inside the PCB to reroute stuff. From what I've heard from an AMD contact today, like there's a lot of concerns about modulating power in it because Zen 4 uses entirely different voltage standards. Let's say they figure all of that out, though. The thing I come back to is, why don't they just launch a Vcash 16 core and call it a day? Like all of this work to launch Zen 4 on AM4, why would you do that when when you're transitioning to the next generation of server chips, you just launched the 16 core Zen 3D. Like, why not? Is that not good enough? And I don't know what you think about that. I, I guess my question is, how happy would you be to upgrade to Zen 4 if you found out you could put it in your existing motherboard? It sounds like the benefits wouldn't be. It would be it'd be better than what you have now, but you know, it'd probably just be clocked. I think it goes back. Lower. Yeah, I think it goes back to our discussion. How like I've never felt. I never felt the need that uh, to upgrade my CPU too much. It's always been GPU for thing gaming and stuff. So I I don't know. I I don't. I think if I would wanted to upgrade to um, Zen four, I would want to get the new standard because there's a lot more benefits that come with the like the AM five standard that AM four doesn't have, and it's not anything really to do with the CPU itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't know. I guess I would say. Because I'm on Zen 2, I would actually probably buy it if the performance was there. But, and, and I guess that is a way to stop everyone with an AM4 system from getting Raptor like just overnight. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, why would you do that when you can just put Zen 4 in here? Um, and, and, and then you could just sell like, you know, $80 B550 motherboards with it. Mm. That, that's what I'm wondering if they would do that. But at the same time, I just keep going back to isn't the 5800X3D good enough? with a budget motherboard i don't know it just sounds like a marketing thing at a time where like people might be too afraid to upgrade like their entire motherboard and stuff in and ddr5 pricing of course yeah yeah so it, it, it'd, it'd have to be like right place right time is why they would do it but yeah i guess to close out that conversation all i can say um amigo garigo is uh apparently it's possible but i would not bet money on it happening right now um all right so i have some last vr questions here getting off of the you know more off subject to what you usually cover stuff i've got a couple of goofy ones actually so yoda king writes him he says hi tom and bradley what are your thoughts on nvidia uh, i'm sorry on nintendo approaching something for vr will the switch ever be able to host compelling vr experiences well i answer that no but like, what do you think about Nintendo ever bothering with VR? Is you follow VR closely? Has that ever popped up? Any rumors about that popped up on your radar? No serious rumor has ever popped up of them interested in it. Um, it's always, yeah, nothing serious. But I, I do want to say, like, you know, we were talking about how Meta is worried about another company ever hopping in with the low end uh, thing. The one thing I think Nintendo, if they ever did decide they wanted to go into VR, I think they would also target the low end. They've always been good at like 
pushing the low-end hardware to provide good software and experiences. And if they did, I think Meta's low-end market would be very difficult to compete with that. But yeah, I've never heard anything like Substantial. Like, yeah. I mean, have you literally ever heard anything at all that seemed like a real rumor? Like outside of just like someone saying in the comments, who's Nintendo going to do it? No, never. Yeah, I guess the only thing I could come up with for why they might is your argument for like them using Little Phoenix for both the Steam Deck 2 and a Hollow Deck is maybe because they have that SOC sitting around, they could make it. But I don't know. That's it's a lot of work for a small company. The one thing like for Nintendo, um, like, you know, they, they've learned how to transition their devs to ARM. They could literally do something similar to the Quest 2, just have Snapdragon and build if they did like Nintendo, Mario, Donkey mm. Kong, and that would do well. They just don't seem to care about it right now. You're saying they should just make the games for the Quest 2? Yeah, but I, I, I don't see them doing that either. I so. know. <laughs> I, I've been wondering for like a decade why. For me, the thing with Nintendo that keeps making me just like wake up in like cold sweats with how annoyed <laughs> I get about this is why isn't there an, I, an iOS and Android port of like Pokemon Yellow? You could yeah. sell it for $10. Do you hate making money? Like, look at all these Nintendo emulators on mobile. You can sell them directly, dude. What are you? You don't need to sell the Switch games. You can sell the nostalgia ones and people will buy them in Matt. What are you doing? M millions of just <laughs> billions in sales is what you would. Look at how much money you made from Pokemon Go. What do you think you would make? Yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a bizarre company, but... I don't know. <laughs> Who are we to say they're making lots of money right yeah, now? Yeah, they are. So, and um, they, they they make a probably good profit on their actual switches to begin with. So, like, although know. I mean, oh, it's probably like a hundred dollars to make one of those yeah. goddamn things at this point. It's a seven twenty p display. But um, let me ask you, what do you think about like Xbox and VR? And I only ask because we've talked about everyone else, and I do get these questions every now and then. Like, do you think they're gonna try anything? uh no uh, i don't actually i think uh if they ever do try something they might they might be more likely to release games on other platforms for vr if they ever decided to than i would say nintendo is but from what i hear um well first of all their xr division is a, a mess um and that includes mm. like hololens and everything they 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 uh they, they've gotten to the point where they for their next so they are working on like a mixed reality thing a thing but what they're really doing is they're giving money to Samsung. They're giving money to Qualcomm and like all these other companies to basically build their device. And they're going to slap their Windows software onto it, uh, like with their know-how. Um, and they've had a lot of trouble just in general with XR. And um, I, I just don't see them. I They've been asked a lot at, and like publicly about if they would ever do like an Xbox VR, but they've always said, yeah, we're not we're not interested at all and i i believe them i think i think their xr hardware stuff is just a little bit of a mess very unorganized yeah all i can ever say to people who ask me is i've literally zero whispers about them yeah. working on anything having to do with vr and the answer yeah. i also always give is how does that work with streaming because that's how they want to make money you cannot mm -hmm. stream vr sony mm -hmm. is using an old-fashioned business model you can't do that over streaming, hence why Sony sees a reason to focus on VR when Microsoft doesn't. Um, let me see here. So 
Gus writes in, hi, Tom and Bradley. In a similar vein is the question to, I believe, was a government engineer or someone else on a previous book in Silicon. How do you see movement in VR evolving? Are there developments you've seen or you would like to see in that area? I hope this question is more concise than the last time and you don't need to rewrite it as much. Gus, I could just read it from start to finish this time. No worries, my man. But um, yeah, like, and that is a major problem in uh, VR. Get, like, how do you how do you see movement evolving? Because I do think it's very clumsy in half-life alex even yeah um well for i i i think hardware is starting to make big progresses i said earlier in this podcast that it's all been about taking mobile like lines that are dedicated to mobile phones well we're at the point in the industry where players like apple are getting serious they're going to release something and it's also at the same time that mobile phones as a market you see the the sales are are slowly dipping. Like people are not interested in buying new phones every year. And that's reflecting in the actual fabs in China, for example, like their component orders are getting cut, not even just related to this year, but like they've been slowly getting orders cut in general. So now it's time for the XR people who everyone in this, like, you know, Silicon Valley, they're saying, oh, we think AR, XR is going to be the next big computing platform, but we need technologies that are focus for our devices, our hardware devices. We, we can't keep using the same displays you make for phones. Mm-hmm. So that's why also, like, you, you know, we talked about pancake lenses, but I think like technologies like OLED on silicon is going to be very big for this space. Um, Apple is going to be like one of the first people to release a headset with it. It's, it's, it's one of those technologies that's also expensive. Um, basically what OLED on silicon is uh, for anyone who doesn't know it's so Standard OLED that you have on phones, they're built on glass backplanes. But uh, we're getting, but but the issue is there's a limit to PPI pixels per inch you can have on a glass backplane with getting mm. the transistors transistors on there. So people have just realized, and, and this is not a new new topic. Uh, o, they call them OLED micro displays or all these other things. They've been around for almost like 20 years at this point. It's just they they've been very niche. Um, like Sony cameras, the little viewfinders would use them. Very very niche um, concepts, but the industry is like, well, we can build these uh, transistors that emit OLED in much higher PPIs, like almost 3,000 pixels per inch, and that will will remove the screen door effect alone, which will make the experience look a lot better. And also, when you talk about pancake lenses, you want to raise the PPI because you're getting that display closer to the eye, and that's a huge, like, if you get a display closer to the eye, you might even see screen door effect more and all these factories you'll hear if you if you search oled on silicon you'll see in china alone tons of new fabs being built Mm -hmm. for this technology on ar vr and i think when the first device releases with pancake lenses and uh, these oled on silicon displays people are like okay this headset is not only comfy it's it looks amazing it looks really good so i think though i think visuals will I think that will push the industry very fast. And Apple is going to be the first one to really get it out there. Apple joining any market in general just raises mm-hmm. the market value. And, and you know, new factories are built hoping that Apple uses them and, like, all this stuff. Um, there was an article literally two weeks ago that LG was building OLED on silicon fabs just for Apple's next second-generation headset. And that'll be something every player can use. Amazon, uh, Samsung, like all let, that. Let me ask about that. Wait, so LG is building a factory already for the second gen Apple headset? 
And yeah, like, that's... this is like, is this leak substantiated by like documents showing that that's what it's for? Or is it kind of like someone says that's what this is for? So it's coming from, it's, 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 it's coming from the, uh, the, the elect, I think, um, who is, has a pretty good track record for a lot of these, uh, these Korean, um, company leaks. And they're saying that, yeah, um, Apple, one of the reasons they're building it is for Apple's sec- second generation, because it's not gonna be ready for like until 2024 at the earliest. And, um, if Apple's releasing a headset early next year, obviously that's not gonna be in time. So there probably is some sort of like, Maybe they heard it from someone or like whatever, but um, I, I think in general, even on uh, Meta, uh, there was an event about a month ago that's called SID Display Week, which is like the big for display industry. That's the big event that happens every year, and they showed out their outline of what display technologies they want to use, and they also are wanting to use micro OLED. Like all these big companies, Valve is has uh, been working to. They, they've had micro OLED and like working together with companies for a while. AMD, if we're going to talk about AMD, um, the company that I watch a lot relates to Valve that I think uh, worked together to build a, a custom display. Uh, AMD also used to talk about this company a lot. And it was funny about this micro OLED company who's been building these displays for military purposes for a mm-hmm. long time. They're, they're, they only, they're only in US um, for the military purposes, but their fab is at the... New York uh, Global Foundries Fab, and it's very and they have a chip partner. They won't say who it is, so it's probably very likely that they have some sort of connection with AMD, just because they've been put there, like in 2015 when there was more Global Foundries AMD partnership stuff. So, like you see a lot of these different companies, they're they're all very interested in uh, OLED on silicon. I think it's going to be big things um, happening just from visuals that will put in the comfort that will push this industry further. Long answer. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure I talked about this technology. No, yeah, that, that that's interesting, and and the reason I asked about details around that rumor of LG building a factory for a second generation is it's just like, well, I mean, from what I hear for people at Meta, they're just like, oh, by the way, Apple's making a VR headset; it's definitely coming. It's yeah. just like when you say, well, if it's literally in writing that there's a factory for a second gen it's like guys this isn't a rumor this thing's coming out pretty soon yeah, then <laughs> yeah, yeah. which i've heard it's going to be announced very soon and come out this year yeah that's um, so but like all right that's that display but what do you think about movement in vr video games so what do we do about that you know like so what? uh yeah no that's always been a difficult thing but i think what people don't realize is if you improve displays, you have faster response times. And like, um, th- there's also things called a duty cycle, which displays already do this already. Um, like if you have a monitor, uh, your monitor runs at a hundred percent all time, but for VR, uh, displays, you want them to run at 10% of the frame. So they actually pulse the display for 10% of the entire frame because that removes all the motion blur. Mm. Um, so you got to make displays brighter because it also makes the displays a lot dimmer, especially when you start using pancake optics. Really, I think I think for the near term, the motion sickness problem can be solved with higher refresh rate, faster response time displays. And I think OLED on silicon can do that. So the the question i have though is like using a joystick to move your character oh. around <laughs> well that, 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 that is the, but that is related to um like the yeah. the movement like people get sick doing that right now because the displays are either just low response time or there's other reasons but i think display like you're not going to figure out you're honestly not going to figure out a way unless like 
uh, there, there is some research done that like, um, for example, PSVR 2 has uh, haptics on the headset. And there's some research saying that if you like vibrate it a certain way when you when you do different things, that it might actually solve the motion sickness. But I think we're going to be on joysticks type movement for a while. <laughs> because, yeah, it is interesting. Like, you know, when I play Half-Life, Alex, you use a joystick or walk to move, you know. And I have no problem moving my head. I never really get sick, but I do get sick if I'm moving my head while I'm walking with the joystick sometimes, like especially in kinetic firefights, it just becomes, well, I, I really actually get a little motion sick. You, you don't think there's an obvious way for us to fix the movement thing? Like, uh, it's just like, it's, it is what it is. You need a big room and you're gonna have to use a joystick. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, th th there's a lot of bizarre research on it and... <laughs> It's it's all comes back to you might need something really cr like a weird field giving off in your room or something. So yeah, I don't I don't see that. Um, that's why games need to have either joystick or teleport because that's that's genuinely the two choices you can have for a while for gaming. Mm -hmm. All right, final question. Clean Sweep writes in and he says, "Hey Tom and Bradley, I just w finished watching the two-part video with Carl Gutag on augmented reality. Great videos, really easy to understand. One thing I noticed is that a lot of the problems brought up seem to only exist or are exacerbated by trying to implement augmented reality on a head-mounted device. In the short term to medium term, could we see a split in AR development where there's more of a mainstream adoption of AR in applications like vehicle windshields, display cases, and other non-head-mounted displays? Well, head-mounted AR doesn't exist outside of the niches where Carl identified actual use cases, military, medical, enterprise, until the issue he identifies are overcome. Yeah, I, I think, um, great question, by the way. I, I, I think, yeah, in that uh, series, I was talking to an electrical engineer. He's, like, responsible for sprites, you know, like, sprites mm -hmm. in the old, been in the industry for many, many years. Very cool guy. But um, he's very skeptical on AR, um, and he has a lot of reasons for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, do, I do think the, the big issue with AR glasses and, like, like uh, see, they call it optical AR, see-through AR, uh, is... You can't, there's, there's a lot of issues, but for the short term, I do think the, the, the applications you're saying for like windshields and stuff, anything that doesn't require moving an object in your visual field where you can just plaster, like, for example, a time or calories burn or something, or just other HUD data. I, I honestly think that's the only stuff that's going to happen for consumers in any top type of optical AR, including windshields. There's a lot of interest in doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think we'll start seeing that even, even the first, you know, you always hear rumors that Apple is going to release their first optical or see-through AR device. Um, and people are like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to replace the headset immediately. Mm -hmm. Even though that, that device is slated for like 2024, 20, 2025, whatever they say, Apple does not have uh, magic technology to solve all the problems with optical AR. I guarantee you if they do release something like that and Meta 2, they're going to be called smart glasses. If they have a display projected on the screen, it's going to be like mm -hmm. Google Glass where it's just notifications in your view that doesn't move when you move your head. It's just that's where the AR glasses technology is. And there is some benefits to it, but it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well... That is everything I had on the script for us to talk about. I mean, I, 
there were a couple times when we were talking where there were there's something that came up that you wanted to make sure you got out before we finished. I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about that you had that you think is important, you know, related to these subjects that we haven't had a chance to get to? I think we covered um, a lot. It's, it's just really like I, I maybe maybe because I watch this industry very closely and um, I think it might surprise people how the growth might be really fast within the next year or two. A lot of it does have to do with Apple just increasing the market value. But um, people that have said that this space is a gimmick, um, I think they might want to pay attention to it more because even though the headsets are probably going to be very expensive, um, there's going to be some use cases. I think people are just going to talk about it a lot more. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just I'm just very grateful that you had me on here to talk about all these uh, crazy things. Thank you. No, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I will say this to that last thing you said, though. I am getting, because, you know, I kind of went through the history of recent VR stuff with my Oculus engineer guest. And it was, I, I forgot how crowded the 2012 to 14 area was for VR. It really was as as stupid as someone made an Oculus Kickstarter and then, you know, snap your fingers next year. Sony, Samsung, everyone's talking about VR all of a sudden, and they were just ignoring it until a Kickstarter happened that got more success than almost any other Kickstarter before it. And I'm getting a similar feeling now to what I read about from articles back then, where we have a PSVR 2 coming out. We have multiple interesting things Valve's working on. We have Apple about to enter the space. And, you know, say what you will about Apple, but look, smartwatches were pretty niche until the Apple Watch came out. Now everyone has a smartwatch, so say, you know, get mad at them if you want, but yeah. it is what it is. I, I don't know. I I, I, agree. I think that next year is going to be a, and the end of this year is going to be a very, very big 12 months for VR. And I think it's going to be much, I mean, if we're being honest, the past decade was kind of just the trial run before everyone really knows what they want to do, right? I would totally agree with that for sure. Yeah. So, so I'm glad I had you on so I can start paying attention to this space before it blindsides all of us. Um, and I guess, you know, before we go tell everyone where they can find you, you know, there'd be a link in the description to your channel, but please plug yourself. Yeah. So, uh, I do videos, youtube.com slash sadly. It's Bradley. I, I tweet a lot of what I find, um, Twitter, sadly, it's Bradley, but uh, the thing I've done more recently that I think uh, if you like deep dives into how a lot of XR tech does, I do a lot of research on the, I, I couldn't even dive into them for this, but I do a lot of research onto how optics are working for VR, uh, how displays are progressing, all these things. And um, go to sadly in reality.com and I'll, I'm going to start writing articles in depth about that. So hopefully you learn something. Let me write that down in reality.com. So I'll make sure to add that in the description as well. Um, and yeah, I, it, it is funny. Um, I put on some stuff while I was putting the script together with some of your interviews. And it did remind me a lot of getting just completely into the weeds. Like when I was talking to like a memory engineer about like CXL and stuff like stuff that you really get into that type of like broken silicon like depth, but for like lenses and all of that <laughs> as well. And I'm, I'm just everyone who follows me, I think you'll find his content very interesting if you like any of that stuff i'm doing so 
Um, all right. Well, you know, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks to everybody for listening. Check out Bradley, you know, and also hopefully check out Broken Silicon every week. Uh, subscribe to it on your podcast app of choice. Give us a review. Subscribe to Moore's Laws Dead on YouTube. Bring the bell button. Tell your friends about us. Buy 10 phones. Subscribe on all of them and download my podcast every week 10 times. And uh, support, you know, if you support us on Patreon, you can ask us questions. There's tons of exclusive content. But um, otherwise, thanks again for like the fifth time I've said in this past <laughs> minute for coming on. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Gareffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Riggleman, Joachim Hagen, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wontek, Andrew S., Frank Zelensky, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcoma Lev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamtum G. Spamtum, Jonathan, Michael Johnson, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jen and Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name Is Nobody, Caillou Markelli, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, Jeremy Scalen, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Autrini, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Danny Nugent, Stephen Dick, 
Tommy, Kunden, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Dalmain Peterson, James Anderson, Y. Trui, Mark Raidmaker, Seth Domines, 3DS Boy 08, Al Buma, Norithiel, Matthew Landabaza, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, F7GOS, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nokoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerome Ferriera, Zapito 3, DSIS, Thomas A. Teff, Klein Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Aria, Morpheus, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Garrido Saunderson, David Eastling, Cameron, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Eric Osborne, Loophole 35, Winstar Joker, James I. Radner, Corey Leonard, Sammy Moloss, John Shin, and thank you to Sahara for the music.